Since the beginning of this podcast, almost 100 episodes ago, I have been mining my 30-year Superman fandom, starting with that tattered red cape, within the larger context of the character's rich 85-year mythology, examining, discovering, and reconsidering the creative visions that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Now, our milestone 100th episode beckons, and the journey continues. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow by Alan Moore and Kurt Swan is Voices from Krypton podcaster and author, Ed Gross. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm honored to have you. As much as this is the first time that people are hearing us converse, it's not the first time we've spoken. In fact, you interviewed me multiple times for your forthcoming book, Your Oral History of Superman. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about this? I think this is such a special project. I was honored to be included. Well, no, and it was great to have you in there. And not only did I get you on Zoom for a couple of times, I kept nagging you with email questions. Could you please answer this? Give me your thoughts on this. Uh, it is basically what I hope to be the most comprehensive book on uh, the history of Superman. It's, it's, a, it's told in oral history format. There are 250 interviews in this thing. And it covers the entire 85-year history, more actually more because it starts before DC Comics existed. Uh, and it goes all the way up to the discussion of what's going on now with James Gunn and, uh, you know, the plans for the young Superman and uh, the comics in 2023. So it's pretty comprehensive. And, uh, I'm pretty excited. It's coming out in April from Nacelle Books. Wait, there's something going on with James Gunn and a Superman movie? You don't say. It's a couple of rumors I've heard. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's nice because I've gotten comments from people giving me their thoughts on him. Brandon Routh says something about it. Mark Wade says something about it. So it's pretty up to date. I think it's up to date as it can possibly make it. So Very cool. Well, congratulations on completing this project. I very much look forward to holding that copy when it comes out. And April is my birthday. I was actually thinking uh, just a few minutes what ago. What sort of a schedule for well, I, I, I appreciate it, but Thanks. I was thinking, I was, and an audience, maybe we'll do something. Maybe I'll, I'll pick up a few extra copies and maybe we'll do a little raffle or something for the Digging for Kryptonite audience. Maybe, you know, you leave a review of Digging for Kryptonite on Apple Podcasts and that enters you in a chance to win. Or we'll take a page out of our friend uh, Zach Moore's playbook from the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast. I know he does something similar around the holidays. So I don't know, maybe we'll do something like that to try to get the book out there in, in more hands. So we'll, uh, Please. we'll see. The more hands, the better. <laughs> so there you go. Very cool. So first of all, happy new year, happy 2023 to you and to the audience. This is the first digging for kryptonite of 2023. And it has been, the show's only been off for a few weeks, but it has been like almost two months since I last recorded a digging for kryptonite. And I got to tell you, I really missed it. I'm really happy yeah. to be back. <laughs> Doesn't hit the feed every week. It's like something's wrong. Anthony must've had a car accident. God forbid. <laughs> you know what's going on? Yeah. Well, thankfully, you know, I think, uh, I think people knew, you know, we had announced that we were gonna have a few weeks off and hopefully that gave people a chance to enjoy the holidays and maybe catch up on episodes uh, if they were behind, but hopefully people were like, Hey, I'm like, I'm ready for the next episode. And here we are. And we're starting off this year with sort of, um, it's an unofficial two-parter that I'm calling it ends with a wink because we're talking about yeah. whatever happened to the man of tomorrow this week and next week it's all-star Superman along with a little bit of DC 1 million. And there's a very important wink in that book as well. So that's kind of what we're starting with. I guess as we're approaching our 100th episode and as we're starting off a new year here on the podcast, I started thinking, okay, like what, 
what haven't, like, what are the big things that we haven't hit yet that people who have been following this podcast might be wondering? Like, hey, when is he going to do an episode on, on whatever happened? When is he going to do an all-star Superman episode? This was always by design because, as I've, I've always said, this is a journey, right? And I felt like these, these stories in particular, I would be able to say more about them and, and I would get more out of them upon reread after the journey that I've been on for these past 85 episodes. And that very much proved to be the case. So that's why we're kind of doing this now. It would have been really easy to do this episode, you know, two and, and three. But I think doing it now as we're getting getting so close to this milestone 100th episode, uh, it, it just felt right to me. Uh, and so I'm honored to have you here. Uh, there's so much to unpack, but I got to start here, man. So whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is this all-time classic Superman story. Like any list of top Superman stories, you will find this. You are, uh, you know, you know. I, I think one of the biggest Superman fans, I know you've just written this massive book, this massive right. book on Superman. Do you mind sharing with the audience, when was the first time that you read Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Well, I'm almost embarrassed to say this. <laughs> uh, I read it this week. Uh, somehow... In the course of all these years, I remember when that came out, I was getting ready to get married. There's a lot going on. And I kind of dropped out of the comics for a couple of years. Well, a year, really, because then when John Byrne came out, it wasn't even a year. Uh, I, I checked in for that, for Man of Steel number one. And I was like, it rehooked me in the comics. I'd kind of fallen out. So it was only this week. So when you said to me, do you want to talk about it? I was like, yeah, good enough re you know, excuse to read this comic that I've, you know, obviously is such a touchstone. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because it's, uh, it, tr I mean, this is saying to anybody who's read knows this, it truly is that closing chapter of the silver age. And it's, and it really does an amazing job. Not that I'm being revelatory here, but you know. I, I was just, I was floored and I, and I don't say any of this to break your balls or shame you in any way. In fact, it's the opposite. I think this is an important point for, for all of us Superman fans, but just fans in general to remember that everyone has their own experience with all of this stuff. And, you know, I think of the classic Rocky line when he's talking about his relationship with Adrian and he's like, she got gaps, I got gaps, together we fill gaps. Absolutely. You know, the part of the impetus for this podcast for me at the very beginning was I knew I had all of these gaps in my Superman fandom. As much as I love the character and had been reading and watching, there was so much I had never experienced. So it didn't make me any less of a fan. It didn't make you any less of a fan that you hadn't read the story. Absolutely not. Right. So, uh, so that's the thing. I think it's always important to remember that everyone's kind of coming at this from a different perspective and at a different time and things that you might take for granted, which I did. Like I made an assumption that you, <laughs> that you had read this story. That I think it was a wrong. pretty safe assumption to have made. I mean, really, I'm kind of shocked myself. Uh, <laughs> I haven't read it, but you know, it is what it is. Well, what's funny to me, I, I told, listen, I totally understand you had stuff going on, right? when this originally came out and maybe you missed the boat at the time that I totally understand. It's just, it's again, I'm floored that in the decade since it's only two issues. <laughs> He's forgiven me. Don't worry about it. No, just, you know what it is? What, what I find interesting about it is like one of the things I envy you in a sense that you, when you're doing this podcast is all the discovery you're making. You know what I mean? You go from episode to episode and you're discovering new things about Superman. You didn't know new stories untold previously to you. And I kind of felt that way with this, even though I should have read it. I'm ashamed I haven't read it <laughs> before this. Not really. Uh, but it was an interesting discovery thing because suddenly for me in reading it, 
it just brought me back to my childhood because, you know, I grew up in the 60s and, and was collecting anything with Superman in it. And so for me, so much of that, the only thing missing from that issue were a bunch of parenthetical, you know, sobs, gasps, choke, you know, the words that every time somebody would be have an emotion, they would have to tell you what the emotion was. That's the only thing missing from this. So the rest was pretty amazing. Or trip back in time. Yeah. Well, so I'm fascinated to get your perspective on this story, especially as someone who grew up reading those comics, because that was the experience that I did not have. And I'll talk about how I originally came to the story. And again, there's there's a lot for us to get through. But one question that I always typically like to ask first time guests on the show is is a little bit about their their Superman fan journey. So for you, how and where did you first experience Superman? And then hand in hand with that, you know, I always hold up Death of Superman, Smallville, the Snyderverse as the tent poles of my Superman fandom. What would be right. some of the tent poles of yours? Well, the tent. Well, first of all, the discovery happened with reruns of George Reeves' The Adventure, Adventures of Superman. I mean, black and white TV, little kid watching it. And that coincided so weirdly. And I have the comic right here on the rack is my father had a comic book about the history of dogs, believe it or not. And I've still got this thing. So, so I felt, I looked at that. And I fell in love with comic book medium. I was watching adventures of Superman. I discovered, gee, there are comic books based on this guy. And I started collecting Superman there, reading it and couldn't never get enough of it. Uh, from that point on, as far as touchstones are concerned, I know you're not a huge fan of the storyline. I mean, I read them throughout the 60s and, and I fell in love with all that stuff. But the comic that really hit me the most was besides the imaginary death of Superman in, from 61, which, you know, I bought as a old past issue of like two years or something. Uh, uh, there was that and also uh, Kryptonite Nevermore. That storyline, I fell in love with it at 11. I couldn't understand why he had his full powers back after it was finished. And have waited ever since for someone to do an animated adaptation of it. And they still haven't. And I'm still waiting. Uh, then of course there's Superman, the movie, 18 years old, 10 people, you know, a total of 10 people stood in the, sat in the back row of a movie theater. We watched it blown away. It ended. We stood up, we looked at each other, we sat back down and re rewatched it. And ever since then, of course it was the Christopher Reeve movies, but then, I'm one of those guys that goes along with the yes. It's like James Bond. You know, you have Sean Connery, you have Roger Moore, whoever it is, Pee Wee Herman's James Bond. I'm there. I'm seeing it. Uh, maybe not. Uh, and I'm that way with Su Superman. So there are so many touchstones because the excitement always comes in again when there's Henry showed up at the ending of Black Adam. I was thrilled. I was just like with the John Williams theme. I couldn't tell you how happy I was. He's not there anymore. Okay. I'll wait for the next one. My son's like, don't be Zen. I said, I have to be Zen. Now I have an answer. Now I'm moving on. Thank you very much. It's, it's kind of like that. So there are many touchstones, but I would say besides discovering the character, Kryptonite Nevermore and Superman, the movie, those are the two big ones. I think. Nice. Well, and I, I appreciate, I think your approach, your attitude is a healthy, productive one, you know, being open to new interpretations. And yeah. I think, it would probably be hard to sustain your fandom for as long as you have if you were so set on only one interpretation of the character, right? Because none of these things last forever. There's there's always ebbs and flows. And so being able to not just accept, but it seems like you're excited for these things. That's oh, awesome. Very much so. I mean, it's like Star Trek. It's like a lot of people went crazy when J.J. Abrams rebooted the 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 films. Now, my attitude about that is, guess what? You introduce it to a whole new generation of fans who maybe wouldn't have watched Star Trek. And those original adventures are there. 
And if, but I'm a person who wants to experience as long as they're good. And I happen to like most two out of the three, uh, JJ movies, as long as you're capturing sort of the tenets of what I like about the character, like, or the characters, that's what I care about. As long as it feels like Superman, it feels like Star Trek. It feels like James Bond. Uh, to me, that's all I care about. Just entertain me. That, that's really what it comes down to. As a wise man once said, after all, they're all just imaginary stories. And on that note, <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, two-part storyline and Superman 423 and Action 583 in 1986, right before the John Byrne Man of Steel reboot. These were the final pre-crisis stories featuring Superman. Now, I encountered this for the first time in 1997 when DC reprinted it for the first time in, I guess you could sort of say it was a trade paperback, but it was really, since it was so short, it really looked and felt more like a prestige format one shot. And this came out in 1997. So this was the period of time I was still shopping at Heroes World in the Galleria. Oh, side, side note. Because I know I've spoken a lot about my origin story and being at Heroes World. And of course, I've talked about how Heroes World is no longer there. Uh, that Galleria Mall, also on the way out. Uh, it was announced over the holidays that the mall is closing. So it, it had. They're all going. <laughs> they're all going. And, and in, in White Plains, there's the Westchester Mall, which is huge and, and beautiful and newer. And that I think has overtaken probably a lot of the mall business. But in any event, uh, another sad, another sad, you know, uh, passing in this. Uh, in this origin story that I've been telling Heroes World went now the mall itself. Anyway, uh, so I was shopping in Heroes World when this, uh, this reprint came out in 1997 and I knew next to nothing about it. How, how could I have, I was thinking about this, you know, really pre-internet. I don't think I was even reading wizard at this point. I, I really mm. probably just bought it because it was a new Superman thing that week. I will forever be grateful to Paul Kupperberg <laughs> for the introduction that has been included in most of the reprints that have followed that 1997 right. one. And, and I, I, know, I know him a little bit. I, I, I thanked him for it because it gave me some much-needed context, right? He tells a story of how uh, Julius Schwartz was coming to the end of his tenure as the Superman editor. He was you know, handing off the books, and of course, John Byrne was coming on and was going to reinvent the Superman mythology. And Schwartz knew he had these last two issues, and he had the idea to treat these, his last two issues, as if they were the last issues for Superman ever. And one thing that he mentions a few times in that interview with Kupperberg is he wanted to clear up anything that people might have been wondering about uh, in the books for all this time. So it's this farewell to the, the pre-crisis Superman, but to your point, really that Silver Age version of the character. And, and there are a lot of Silver Age elements that are either seen or referenced in, the, in this book. And uh, so, of course, we have Alan Moore. Uh, writing, Kurt Swan drawing. We have George Perez uh, inking part one and Kurt Schaffenberger inking part two. So truly, uh, you know, an all-star group here telling the story of Superman's final days. It was, you know, billed as an imaginary story, but after crisis, of course, everything that came before would be an imaginary story anyway. So right. I think for fans like yourself, right, who had grown up reading the pre-crisis Superman this was this was the conclusion. This was the two-part finale to this version of the character that you had been reading all along. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it's so funny. Like the, I mean, I don't know if I should jump into one element that, that struck me, but but the seeing Supergirl, the pre-crisis Supergirl, wondering about herself uh, in the present, 
I just, for some reason, found that very moving and very surprising, a little heavier than, I mean, and that is one of the things this book did, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, is, is take a heavier approach than a lot of these Silver Age books ever would have. Um, and the Supergirl thing was just, to me, very interesting because it really did tie together beautifully pre-crisis, crisis, and before we leave it all for John Byrne. So I thought that was interesting. Very much so. This, again, is such a famous story. I don't really know that I need to do much by way of plot summary. Yet, at the same time, I'm sure there are audience members. See, now I can't take anything for granted. I'm sure there are people listening. Maybe who haven't haven't read it. (laughs) So it's just the broad strokes of this. We pick up uh, 10 years later in 1997. That's our framing device for this story, where uh, Lois, who lives out in the suburbs, is being interviewed by Tim Crane from the Daily Planet about the final days of Superman. And so now she recounts Superman's final days. And essentially what we learn is that there had been this period of tranquility where uh, most of Superman's villains were either locked up or laying low, and Superman was largely just performing research in outer space for the government. And then all of a sudden, enemies come start coming back darker Uh, and more vicious. Uh, Enemies who had previously been uh, nuisances were now uh, far deadlier, like Prankster and Toy Man, who abduct, torture, and murder Pete Ross after they extract the knowledge that Clark Kent is Superman. Bizarro destroys Bizarro World, goes on this homicidal rampage in Metropolis, and ultimately commits suicide, because in order to be the perfect, imperfect duplicate of Superman, Superman is alive, it stands to reason, Bizarro must be dead. Right, and it it goes on and on, and we'll hit I think we'll, we'll hit most of those beats, uh, the rest of the beats as we make our way uh, through the story. But essentially there's this, this large sense of foreboding that the audience feels and that Superman feels. Like we really, we all get the sense that we're building towards a final confrontation. And, and uh, what ultimately happens is after Superman's identity is revealed, he takes his, his closest friends to the Fortress of Solitude to protect them. And he prepares for this siege uh, led by the new Brainiac Luther team, which is Brainiac controlling the... Um, the, the dead, but we're at, not at this point. Not Lex quite, is still, not so quite dead. We'll get there. <laughs> but possessing <laughs> Lex's body, we have the Legion of Supervillains, we have Kryptonite Man. Uh, and well, I'll save the final reveal and all of that for as we make our way through the discussion. But that's sort of uh, taking us to the climax of the story. So only two issues, <laughs> but covers a lot Same. and really serves as this farewell. Uh, the last thing I want to say, I guess, by way of setup, is the other reason I kind of wanted to cover this story now is probably two years ago now, it must be, I did an episode of this podcast called How the Arrowverse Failed the Clark Kent of Smallville. (laughs) And it was all about how I did not like how the crisis television event gave Tom Welling's Clark Kent the whatever whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow ending from the comics. And Mike Sangregorio was my guest. We talked for a long time. We did talk about whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, but really the thrust of the conversation was how uh, I, I felt that it was a misstep to end uh, the Smallville Clark journey the way they did. And Mike made a lot of great arguments. None of them ultimately swayed me. I remember ending that episode saying, I wish that Tom Welling hadn't even come back. That's how strongly I felt about it. Sure. But... This is a journey. Uh-oh. This is a journey. And a man can have a change of heart. And I have. So what you're going to hear later in this episode is actually almost a 180 from what you heard from me in that episode a couple of years ago. I really came around on it and I'm excited to talk about it. So it's it's one of those things where, look, this opinions can change. Another important 
think another important yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, aspect for fans to keep in mind, like we can change our minds sometimes. It's, it's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> please. If you, if you don't change your mind, I mean, you're so rigid. <laughs> that it's like nothing is going to get through. So please. So, you know, you mentioned, of course, growing up, reading, reading all those silver and, and bronze age stories. Were there, for example, Rich Roney, a good friend of mine who's been on the podcast, he too grew up reading Silver Age Superman. He loves Candor. Like, I think that's the, the one aspect from the Silver Age that like really, really grabbed him uh, more, more than, than certain other things. For you, what, what are some of the hallmarks of those stories you grew up reading, aspects of pre-crisis Superman, either in terms of characters or dynamics or settings that stuck with you the most? Well, believe it or not, the the comic that really stuck with me the most is World's Finest. I mean, having Superman and Batman, having all those adventures together, and Batman didn't try to kill him once. It was amazing. Not once. Uh, there was that stuff. The Lex Luthor battles and Luthor going to another, Lexor, having his own planet where people love him and stuff, was such a switch around. I mean, all those crazy stories... Like, I didn't enjoy so much, you know, Superman carrying a giant magnifying glass into space and being able to look back in time. I always thought that was goofy, even when I was a kid. Uh, but just watching him and those battles with Luthor and Brainiac, uh, the Legion of Superhero Adventures, I mean, with Superboy going into the future and having those adventures with them, and even the Legion on their own without Superboy. These are the stories that just sort of, they to me, they're all one giant um I don't know how tapestry, I guess, of, of that period where all these different stories, like I can look at a cover and go, oh, I remember that issue. Oh, I read that. I love that issue. You know, or something like that. Um, I wish I could tell you specific stories that they are, but it's not. It's the it's the creativity that went into the imaginary stories they used to do. Uh, it was these weird reprints with this guy named Wayne Boring doing the art, which I never liked and never thought it looked good because I was so used to Kurt Swan. And yet, it's all part of the whole for me, that tapestry, that period, uh, even more than the 70s. Because once we get past Kryptonite Nevermore, I kind of is getting a little older and I kind of tuned out for a few years anyway. Not many, but a few. So the 60s really created my love for Superman that carried forward from there. But that's really it. So I wish, like I said, I wish I can give you specifics, but it's just the general I had hundreds of comics of action and Superman and Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen adventure world's finest. So to me, it all blends together for, you know what I mean? It's just like, it was just the thrill of immersing myself in that universe and never quite leaving it. <laughs> so, you know? No, I can appreciate that. And and maybe it's more about how, how it all made you feel rather than again, specific beats that you remember. So I, I, I suppose moving forward now to whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and, you know, Having this this history of reading those comics as a kid, and then now, now at last reading this finale to that version of the character, did it feel in keeping with the Superman you read? I mean, because again, this is the thing that, it, as much as now I've I've dabbled in Silver Age Superman, and I've I've read a fair selection of stories. I've read, you know, probably most of the ones that you would find on best of lists. I've at least read those, but there's so you know hundreds that I haven't, of course, but. So I, you know, I can only answer this so well for myself and, and, and even the Silver Age stories that I've read, I'm reading them now as an adult with 2023 20, eyes. Like it's, it's a little bit different. I'm curious reading whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and, and comparing this, this version of the characters with what you had grown up reading. Was it because there, I, there are differences, but did it still feel of a piece Did it still feel like a fitting conclusion? 
it did at the same, it did. It, I mean, a lot of watching the relationships, the watching them, the way they just talk to each other and all that stuff. And even, <laughs> this is goofy, but Superman walking around through the entire adventure with his little trophy like Linus with his blanket. I don't quite get that. Let's like, put it down, dude. I mean, <laughs> no matter what he's doing, he's got his little trophy stashed under his arm. Uh, but it did feel like a good conclusion. At the same time, though, it almost felt like a prologue to the new age we were going into with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns because of the fact that you had deaths happening in this thing that weren't going to turn around. Clark exposed this kryptonite, uh, as Superman, rather kryptonite, where'd that come from? Uh, Superman, and not doing some clever trick to say, oh no, really, I was over there when this, you know, or, or some crazy thing. Lana striking out a kryptonite man. And the things that went on crypto, what happened, I don't know, again, I don't know how much to jump ahead, but what happens with crypto, uh, all of these things. So it all felt, yes, very much Silver Age. And thank you, Kurt Swan, for being a part of this. And yet there were all, and I don't even know if this was intentional or not, but it was, it did feel like almost looking back now, it looks, it feels like a setup to we're entering a new age where deaths of characters and darker elements become the norm. So that was sort of my feeling it's, you know, to piggyback off of that, I've read this now, again, it's been 25 years that I've been reading this story. I don't read it every year, but I've read it, I don't know, I mean, easily half a dozen times, if not more. And especially in recent years, I I keep finding reasons to come back to it, whether for podcasts or otherwise. And it always takes me a minute to remember how much of a bloodbath this story is. Oh, yeah. Again, I know this story, but every, like, I sit down to read it and like I said, we we start with with Bizarro, and of course you see, okay, this is a, an unhinged Bizarro, and where are we go. But when we get to Pete in a box, oh my god, right? It's like, oh, okay, like the stakes are really real here, and we, we can we can certainly spoil this thing. We can go through it as the story moves forward, especially when we get into this siege at the Fortress of Solitude. Pete, uh, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Crypto, Lex Luthor. So many characters meet their end. I mean, it it is truly a a bloodbath. I mean, I guess that's that's the thing that I sort of I I wonder. Like for myself, not having that attachment to the more innocent, simpler, uh, you know, Silver Age stories, I wasn't offended by any of this. But I don't know if if there is a little bit of a disconnect where it it has a lot of the trappings of those Silver Age stories, but we are in. We are in in darker territory, and especially with the character deaths, is it? I don't know. Is is it too much? Is it is it cruel at at a certain point here? I mean, I I don't know how how, how you took in all of that. It's it's weird. I didn't like. I remember this is going to be a weird comparison. I remember when I started reading Injustice and I, the comic Injustice, and when the first hero died, I was like, oh my god. And the second hero died. Oh my God, I can't believe they killed so-and-so. And this kept going on. By the time you get to the 12th hero, it's kind of like, all right, all right, who are you going to kill this issue? Stop. You know, it's already getting repetitious. With this thing, it happened a little too quick. Each each death happened, I thought, too quickly. It's like, all right, we're, we're really just dropping characters like flies now. And that's uh, because we're ending this age. So that bothered me in a sense. It wasn't disturbing per se, as much as it was you're really just trying to rush this and get this over with, kill as many people as you can, as soon as you can. So that kind of bothered me uh, a little bit, uh, that element of it. Um, 
I, I was bothered by watching Lana die and crypto, of course, right? Everyone gets more upset about a dog dying, but I really didn't like crypto dying. I mean, I just thought that was, uh, that was pretty awful. And it's just, I, I don't know. So it wasn't shocking to me. I wasn't like, oh my God, but I was sort of like a little bothered by the fact that certain characters that you grew up loving were gone and they weren't coming back, at least not in this form, because we knew that was the end. So, yeah. No, that's fair. I guess, yeah. In certain respects, it's, it is a little hard to reconcile, and I and I could see if someone landed on the side of it's, it's it's too much, it's too dark, there it's it's too much of a bloodbath. It feels too divorced from the stories that I grew up reading, even though this is meant to be a coda to all of that. Right. Counter argument, looking at it from the other perspective, and well, there's another idea I want to circle back to, but you know, looking at it from the from the other side, it's like this finally gives you the payoff that you never quite got right in all of those stories that you were reading. For example, with, with the secret identity, right? Even if it were uncovered in an issue, it would be undone. The genie would be put back in the bottle exactly. by the end of it. And here it's not characters who were perilously close to death or maybe even died in an issue would be back. Right. But here they're not here. It's here. It's all permanent. It was always whatever battle Superman was entering as as climactic as it felt, you always knew it was not the last one. Yet here, here it was. So, and and the other thing too, I, and I guess I wonder, especially for people who had, again, you know, grown up reading those Silver Age stories, but now were twenty years older, reading whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, an older, you know, now an older audience maybe looking for something with some more stakes, if. Maybe this was kind of a perfect blend because you had, again, those trappings of the Silver Age, but you had a more modern sensibility and things played out more, more realistically, I, I suppose, right? I, at one point in that, I was just thinking of this, is like one of the things, the goofy things growing up that I always read, but I still read it, was the whole Lana Lois competition thing for Superman, right? Oh, I love him, you know, that whole thing of like, who, who's going to get him and, and the imaginary stories where he ended up with Lois and he ended up with Lana, you know, whatever. What I liked in this a lot, really much more than I expected to, there's just the moment where Superman's talking to Perry White and he confesses to Perry, he loved Lana so much, but Lois, he loves like nobody else. And he can't tell her out of fear of hurting Lana. I mean, that is so Superman <laughs> in its thing. So this man lives with this secret. He denies himself because he doesn't want to cause pain to the woman that he first loved because he's more in love with this one. And I just thought that was, you'd never get that in the silver age. <laughs> you know? So I thought that was a wonderful, you talk about ending something or, or, or sort of wrapping things up that explains so much, even though those old stories were goofy emotionally though, it just had such a payoff for me watching his anguish and what he expressed in that moment. Just great. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. 
On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Like I said, I mentioned that that introduction that Copperberg wrote, and he talked about what what Julie Schwartz had said, and then he again he used this phrase a couple of times: "Clear up, clear up things that people might have been wondering about." And I feel like the love triangle is is probably the biggest area that needed to be quote unquote cleared up. And I, I did think that was such a great explanation, and that is, I think it's fair to say that's my favorite scene that that scene with Perry in yeah. in the entire two-parter and it's one of my all-time favorite scenes it i think what i appreciated about it was a i love when perry white gets uh, some some time in the spotlight yeah. and love for perry yeah oh man we love perry and and look this is an incarnation where ma and pa are not there so he you know fills that you know sort of surrogate father role and i think it's very fitting so i, I love the the play for perry but also that you get to see Superman expressing fear. He literally says to Perry, I'm scared. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's a level of vulnerability and, and humanity that you did not see, at least in the silver age stories that I read. No, no, there was never, I don't, I can't think of a time where he was genuinely scared of anything. I mean, you know, he could do anything. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> You know, to build a replica of Metropolis in 30 seconds to fool an alien race. I could do that. No problem. Right. So there was never you never worried. Was Superman going to get out of something? You knew he would. It was just a question of how this story does present that his expression of fear and watching the other people dying as things are closing in on them in the fortress. You actually do fear, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe, you know, without knowing how things end. Maybe they really will kill Superman in this story because it is the end of an era. So it was pretty well, that that was well-crafted, I thought. And that, there will be numerous Smallville references here. That that scene made me think of the scene in the series finale of Smallville where Clark is speaking to the spirit of Jonathan Kent in the barn and expresses much the same sentiment where he's like, I, I, I don't know if I can stop Darkseid. I need your help. And Jonathan's like, you're, you're scared. And, you know, they, it's one of my, I, I get, like, I get chills even thinking about it. It's one of my favorite moments from the entire series and definitely from the, from the finale. And so, you know, kind of seeing shades of that in this scene uh, was great. And I love 
There are a couple of moments of introspection that Superman vocalizes in this two-parter that that really stand out to me. Uh, One is a little bit earlier when they've gotten to the fortress and when Crypto arrives. And this is after his identity has been exposed. Pete Ross is dead. The army of Metallos has attacked the Daily Planet, right? And he's moved everyone to the fortress. And he says, he's, he's like, I feel like all the pieces of my life are finally coming together. And... And he says, I, I have this feeling, I think, you know, animals get this before and he gets cut off, but you know, it, it's like this sense of his end of his mortality, yeah. uh, you know, is, is really weighing on him. And, and again, that too is not something that you've typically seen. You, we, we have seen other instances of that, like the last days of Superman story, I think Superman 156, where right. um, he thinks he's been exposed to virus X and he only has, you know, 30 days to live and he's going through everything that he's, you know, wants to accomplish. So you know, there, uh, there were other stories where he was contemplating the end for himself, but yeah, it never felt, I think, as, as dramatic or as real. And for the audience, knowing that this is, you know, closing the book on this chapter, really anything could have happened here. Right, exactly. Which puts exactly. this in such a unique pocket of stories. Well, yeah. I mean, I brought up before, you know, the Jerry Siegel written Superman, a death of Superman story, right? And I can still remember the shock I felt, I don't know why, when Luthor turned the tables and trapped Superman and, and basically killed him with kryptonite rays. Uh, I can remember the raw emotion of that uh, as a kid. and But in this case, I, I kind of lost track of myself here. <laughs> I'm, going with that. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's no what happens when you spend a year writing a book. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's quite oh, all right. Man. It's well, it's oh. funny. Just as a side note, so you you're also going to be a guest on my George Reeves rewatch podcast. Another yeah. exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, and and we'll do that a little bit later. Uh, and even that, you were originally going to do an earlier episode, right? I felt bad even asking you about that because it was so close to your deadline for the book. I'm like, I gotta give it this was. guy some breathing room. <laughs> so it so you'll was. be on that a little later. Asked- when you asked, I was just kind of like, oh, I got to do this guy's show. I really want to do this, especially going to talk about Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane. I really want to do that. And I, and when when you said, you know, if you need an out, yes, uh, because it was nonstop, man, morning to eleven o'clock at night, every day writing this thing. So yeah, thank you. For Listen, <laughs> I uh, I have been there. I have been there, so I know how all consuming it could be. And it was like, uh, if I if I could take one thing off his plate, let me do that. So so you will Much be on that show uh, later, but. But anyway, well, we were talking about this idea of how uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow in particular exists in a very unique pocket. And then, you know, you brought up the, uh, I think, a valid point about other imaginary stories that have existed, right? right? Like the death of Superman. The death, that's, that's right. <laughs> right. So, and it does. It gives you the ability, the license to do virtually anything you want. Uh, although this one is definitely tasked with closing the door on these characters, on their relationships, and 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 that history that now becomes history uh, prior to John Byrne. So it works very well. It, it, it does. As far as closing the book, though, and, and not to harp on this aspect of the character deaths, but as we're talking about it and as I'm reflecting on it further, I think certain deaths serve a valid function in this story. And, and I don't mean to dump on poor Pete Ross. I, I like Pete, but... Pete's all right. <laughs> but I think I think his death really showed Superman and the audience that, okay, things have gotten real now, right? So it shows that everything has been escalated. And of course, this is, you know, this is the set piece where the identity is exposed, right? Toy Man and Prankster, they send these uh, the Superman action figures that blast real heat vision, that fry 
seemingly fry Clark, and then he's standing there as the smoke clears and his Superman costume is revealed. So I think the Pete scene really serves a purpose. Mm. Uh, even though, you know, unfortunately, you don't even see him alive in the story. You, you know, he just shows up dead in a in a box. So, I think what it does, though, it taps into the past of Superman. It taps into Clark's past, and anybody who has read those books that this is a closure to, what happens is even if you haven't seen Pete in ten years, it doesn't matter because you grew up reading the Adventures of Superboy comic book or Superboy comic, and Pete was all over those those. Yeah. So there is an emotional weight to this. I felt it because. Not that I cared that much about Pete Ross, but it was such an important part of Superman's background, his childhood, his teenage years. So, and I love dipping into that and pulling it like right into the present. Well said. Uh, but I don't know when we get to Jimmy, Lana, Crypto, that that <laughs> that trio in particular. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a little bit of overkill. No, no pun intended. At a certain point, I. Lana, it is truly tragic. She over, she she and Jimmy decide that they want to help Superman in this battle. And so, of course, they've had experiences with powers in the past. So, you know, great callback to earlier stories. I thought that was great where Jimmy uses the elastic lad, you know, uh, f- formula and Lana takes a bath in that radioactive, uh, you know, mineral water and her super hearing kicks in right as Superman is telling Perry exactly what you described earlier, that Lois is really the one yeah. he loves. and. And so it's tragic. So it's like she goes into this battle, which ends up being a battle to the death for her with this knowledge that Superman doesn't love her the way that she loves him. Um, so it's so it's tragic. But the fact that he wouldn't admit it, though, I mean, to me, for her even hearing that, the reason why he would never confess his love to Lois, that's got to say a hell of a lot about his feelings for her. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But that no. was just, uh, that, that to her is going into that moment she has just heard this man say, okay, he loves Lois more than he loves me. But Lois doesn't know that because he'll never tell her because he doesn't want to hurt Anna. That says a hell of a lot about his feelings for her too, I think. It does. Well, then may, I don't know. Maybe maybe Lana does have to die if we're going to end up with the, the, the ending that we arrive mm-hmm. at where we'll get to. So I, so I don't know. Maybe I'm now arguing against myself. Maybe Lana's death does serve more of a purpose. Jimmy, I feel like Jimmy could have gotten a pass. I feel like that was pretty. That's pretty harsh. Oh, it's pretty gratuitous. I mean, the deaths were pretty, pretty gratuitous. I think uh, after it was like, all right, who can we kill now? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, Lana gets her thing in with Kryptonite, kid breaking his neck. I mean, that was unexpected. Kryptonite man. Yeah, I, I uh, well, with um, with Lex, right? She, she, because like I apologize. You're absolutely right. Crypto, See, and I just read the thing. Come on. <laughs> That's <quite laughs> Uh, yeah, crypto and kryptonite man fight to the That's death, right. and, and that is—I agree with you. I think that is the the hardest death to take is is crypto letting out that howl. It's 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 truly uh, it's truly gut wrenching. Yeah. yeah. So in these two issues, we have Brainiac, the Legion, Supergirl, the Fortress, the, the Key. Uh, these callbacks to Pete Ross and, and and Smallville. Again, a lot of these Silver Age trappings and and especially when we're talking brainiac the fortress supergirl i mean they really kick-started the silver age oh for, absolutely for superman were there any hallmarks of the silver age either the characters props settings tropes anything from the silver age that you were like oh man they didn't like i wish they had incorporated this 
Well, I mean, there are a couple like villains like uh, Parasite, believe it or not, because I mean, I remember reading the first Parasite thing. I wish there was more because it's kind of pitiful when Superman says, well, he took care of Prankster Toy Man and, and Lex and Brainiac and I'm kind of out of villains. <laughs> That's it. That's kind of everybody. So there were more villains and there were interesting villains I think they could have brought in to uh, just to, you know, everyone always says Batman's got the greatest rogues gallery and he does. Superman's not so much. So Silver Age wise, things like that I missed. Uh, Candor, well, no, Candor was still a shrunken city at that point, right? There was no, there was no mention of Candor. There should have been something there. Um, they mention it. Brainiac mentions that he must be Superman's greatest enemy. He shrunk Candor. So he, they mention it. Right. That's it. Right, but they're in the fortress. There, <laughs> they could have been. I don't know. There were certain things like that, but mostly it was things like Parasite and other villains that would have been interesting to see. To say it's not so sad. He's got good villains, really. He does. <laughs> so I don't know. That was really it. That's that's what stands out anyway. Gotcha. Uh, again, I, I, I'm not I'm not really qualified enough to answer my own question, but from what I have read and read about the Silver Age, the, I was I was not disappointed because this is not my favorite idea. Um, but I was surprised we didn't get a Superman robots. Yeah, very true. See, now I should have thought of that. I didn't think of that because those <laughs> robots were everywhere in the 60s covering every base. That's absolutely true. But otherwise, I mean, I do think it's fair to say it, it hit a lot, right? It, it, it and did. Not, not in a perfunctory way. I mean, I did feel like it, it, you know, it was organic to the story being told, but it checked a lot of boxes. I think if you were a fan of the Silver Age of, of a lot of those elements being represented in some way, shape or form. Oh, absolutely. And even when Luthor or Brainiac refers, to, I forget which one refers to their previous team up. Uh, you know, remember the last time we teamed up? It must have been Luthor uh, who did it. But I like that because I remember the issue when they teamed up. Uh, so yeah, it it it, uh, it brought all those things together really wonderfully. I mean, that way, it, it I keep saying this, but it was the perfect cap capping for uh, for that period of comics. I think, and even. Kryptonite Man, he makes a reference to the fact, he's like, I'm glad I didn't kill you when we were kids. Because didn't he originate yeah. in Superboy? Superboy, he did. Which, you know, trivia-wise, that's one of the, re the reasons he was one of the few villains they could use from the comics on the Superboy TV show. Just ah. a little interesting. Because he had to originate in the Superboy comic to be on that show. Um, they did it with somebody who wasn't. Metallo was on there, and they shouldn't have had Metallo. And they were told, legal, legal told them, you can't use Metallo again, please don't. So, anyway. That little interesting point for me. So there you go. Interesting, interesting. As I've been saying on this, the Superboy show remains a bit of a gap in the fandom. We're we're getting there. I I'm kicking the can down the road a little bit. No offense, yeah. to Superboy, but yeah. we'll, we'll get there. We are getting there. I promise. <laughs> it's rough, but it, there are moments. It does. It's a show that starts off really bad and 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 improves. I'll just say that it does improve. But okay, anyway, fair enough. <laughs> Not a ringing endorsement, but it's an endorsement. So there you go. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we can certainly, you know, jump back to earlier parts of the story, but building to the finale here and, and where whatever happened to the man of tomorrow leaves Superman. Uh, and then of course I want to talk about the Smallville of it all. So we have this final showdown, uh, at the fortress, uh, Brainiac creates this uh, force field that keeps out Batman and Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and, and other allies who, who came to help Superman. And again, we have this siege on the fortress and the back and forth and the Legion of Supervillains, they show up, right? Because they know that this is 
uh, meant to be Superman's final day. Oh, and I, I did jump over a, a key point though. You had referenced it earlier. Uh, that first night in the fortress, the Legion shows up, right, to give Superman this golden statue of him holding what we will later realize is a Phantom Zone projector. And Supergirl is there for that. And of course, it's this, this very bittersweet moment because he she's not alive any longer. Uh, but this is a past version of herself. She doesn't realize that. Superman knows it's, you know, it, it's a great scene. But it really, I think this, hand in hand with everything else that had been going on leading up to the hiding out in the fortress, I think the Legion's visit and that gift that they give him and, you know, Brainiac 5 makes this reference of like, well, we know it's a significant time for you <laughs> and that's why we wanted to visit you. Again, it just all feeds into this sense of foreboding that the audience has and that Superman has. I mean, he really feels like they just gave him his, you know, his, his tombstone, right? Like this is, right. this is it for him. Uh, so again, we have this, this siege on the fortress and, uh, ultimately after, uh, Lana's death at the hands of the Legion of Supervillains, Superman, you know, goes berserk with his heat vision uh, against the Legion of Supervillains. And they're like, okay, we got to go. <laughs> and that was a little odd, wasn't it? The way they just suddenly say, uh, we're out of here. Bye. <laughs> it was, but it was, it was efficient. And I thought what was cool is like, it shows the art really went a long way. Kudos to Kurt Swan. You really, you see that anger on Superman's face, but I think their, their reaction, their, their fleeing from this really conveys like, okay, like all bets are off here. We better get out of here. Uh, and you know, obviously it clears the deck a little bit. So it it, it was efficient, but I thought it, it, it worked well enough. And as you had mentioned earlier, you know, Lex is able to break through Brainiac's programming for a second and tell Lana, kill me. Uh, which which she does, she breaks his neck and Brainiac is able to control the body for a little while longer, but then eventually even that gives out. Right. And it, you know, it's this weird moment for Superman where he and Lois are standing there outside of the fortress and it seems like everything's been taken care of, yet the force field is still active for some reason. And we still don't have this answer for why Toyman and Prankster and Bizarro and it turned deadly and all of these villains came back at the same time and, and what's going on. And then we have the arrival of the ultimate villain of the piece, Mixius Pilik, yes. who reveals that, hey, I'm this eternal being. My first 2000 years, I did nothing. Then I was good. Then I was, I was uh, up to mischief. You know, now I'm going to be deadly. Then maybe I'll be guilty. I, what was your reaction to, to the reveal of Mixie? Did he feel like a fitting final boss uh if this were a video game uh in the story given given that we've never seen mixie like this uh sort of the even his look was darker than we've ever seen you know his eyes were dark um he looked like michael j pollard from from the superboy show actually his face did to me uh but his but his whole countenance was just very dark looking and stuff as far as it being him if it was just the normal mixie I would have been like, well, this is so out of character. It makes no sense. I mean, he's been there. He's always been a pain in the ass, but that's really as far as it went, really, uh, for the most part. But when you hear this description, it's like Q from Star Trek, right? It's like, oh, Picard, I'm torturing you because I have nothing else to do. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it's just, it is interesting to say I lived 2,000 years doing nothing, like you said. And then I then I did nothing but good. And now I'm going to do horrible, I was mischievous, and now I'm going to do horrible things listening to him detail it, it was suddenly like, wow, he just was purposely being playful 
rather than deadly. You know, everything he did you uh, back in those days, like, oh, he's like in Superman, the animated series, right? Lois turns into a horse. Clark looks at it and goes, oh, here we go. And <laughs> knew what we were going into. It was all very light. It did work for me because you get that description of what he is, his motivations, what he has lived, his existence has been like. So selling for him to switch gears, for us, it's sudden. For him, it's taken 2,000 years to reach this point. So, But now once he's done it, as he's proven, he's committed to it. Now I'm doing this, and I'll do this for a long time. And I thought that did work. I thought that was very effective, especially when he revealed his true form and saying the line of something along the lines of, what, do you think uh, an imp from the fifth dimension is going to be a pint-sized derby-wearing guy? You know, I thought that was all very interesting and well-handled. So, yeah, it worked for me. It definitely did. I agree. And I, I think for those exact reasons, I think the explanation really goes a long way. Look, I, I'm on record. I, I don't typically love, you know, magic-based stories or villains and this whole idea of magic being one of his weaknesses, I, which, you know. It, it's always goofy to me. It's always just Pick a, a card, of, Superman. Oh, you know, I mean, it's like. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, and I said this so many times, so I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, belabor the point, but it's just like kryptonite it makes sense to me as a weakness that is a weakness that's unique to him the idea that he's also vulnerable to magic it's like why why wouldn't he be i guess like his powers are are physical are physical i i don't know i <laughs> i've talked about this vulnerable to magic <laughs> if you're gonna go supernatural magic everybody is i guess whatever. that's what i keep bumping up against anyway uh, yeah, I think that, but I do, I do like Mixius Pitalik and I think that Superman, the animated series went a long way toward making me a fan of the character. Cause I really love the way the cartoon presented him. And of course that Gilbert Gottfried voice and, Gilbert. and those were some of my favorite episodes of Superman, the animated series. They were, they were the, the funniest, most lighthearted episodes. Um, so in that sense, it could sort of feel jarring to, to see Mixie used in this way, but I, like I'm with you. I, I think that explanation and the reveal of his true form works. And I think it's also, I guess, a bit of meta commentary on like, hey, all these stories, like, right, it, it, it it's in keeping with everything else that's going on in this two-parter where you're seeing a lot of the tropes of the Silver Age, but, but you know, again, whatever you want to call it, darker, grittier, more realistic, playing out the right. way maybe you, you always kind of figured it would, but you would never be allowed to see. Right. And I feel like Mixie is sort of this encapsulation of all of that. It's like this, you know, benign sort of, you know, lighthearted nuisance that has appeared all along. It's like, no, this is really what what was going on. And now we're showing it to you. Now that I can cut loose, let me show you what I'm all about. Yeah. Yeah. But we get the payoff to why Superman was carrying that statuette around <laughs> the whole time. I still think it's goofy. He didn't know it until uh, we got to that point. It was, I told you, it's Linus with the blanket from Peanuts. Go ahead. But he finally realizes, or was it, I forget now, is it Lois who, who prompts this? Or? Lois says, look, look, look at what they gave you. Right. And, and then he realizes it's the Phantom Zone projector on the statue. So he goes to grab the actual Phantom Zone projector. And says to Mixie, time to die. And fires the projector at Mixie, who tries to escape to the fifth dimension and is ripped in half, torn between the phantom zone and the fifth dimension, effectively killed. And 
this was Superman's intent, as evidenced by the words he uttered and then the explanation that he gives Lois, because he he's too dangerous to be allowed out there to potentially escape and come back. Before I ask what you thought about this, there's an earlier question that I, I meant to ask. Well, let me ask you now. Okay. How much about this story did you know? Go like I know you hadn't read it, but I'm sure you've heard about it or read about it over all of these years. I didn't know a lot, believe it or not. Okay. I, I really didn't. It was, I mean, I knew that it was the capital of the Silver Age. I knew that. I knew it was Superman being assault, you know, on you know, I say assaulted, but being attacked by his enemies. But honestly, beyond that, and I did get inklings of the happy ending for him, uh, ultimately. Um, beyond that, I didn't really know much. So a lot of this going into this really was a surprise and, and a very fresh experience for me. And I'm actually grateful for that because how often do you look back at something and like, wow, I didn't know that. And that's that's wonderful. So Gotcha. So then what do, do you think of Superman's decision to break his oath and kill Mixie in that moment? When you have a creature, a being, announced that for the next 2,000 years, this is just the beginning, this is just a taste of what he's going to be doing for 2,000 years, I'm sorry, if you have the opportunity to to kill this thing or stop this thing, however you have to do it, you do it. Um, you know, look, I know nobody's going to like me saying this, but Man of Steel, right? When he breaks Zod's neck at the ending of Man of Steel, I'm sorry. He was going to kill that family, and if he didn't kill that family, he would have found another family to kill. And like he said, this only ends one way, Cal. You die or I do. How do you fight that? There is no fighting that. So you remove this greater enemy to save untold millions, basically. And the same thing with Mixie in this thing. You kill him despite your oath, and and you have ended a threat that would have threatened possibly long beyond, you know, after you were gone would still be threatening beings all over the universe. So right move as far as I'm concerned. On this note of Superman killing, and I, I know I've made this argument in numerous other episodes, so longtime listeners forgive the redundancy, but <laughs> it's fascinating to me. It remains fascinating to me, the uproar over the Zod killing in Man of Steel. Yeah. For anyone who's like, oh, this again, I'll, I'll keep it quick. For... uh the, you know, the uproar over that when this was not an isolated incident. And especially now as I've been reading and watching so much, right. of course you have the famous instance in, at the end of the John Byrne run in the comics where he executes Zod and the other phantom zone criminals, right? They have been incapacitated and I believe even rendered powerless at that point, but they had killed billions and the thought of them escaping and getting another chance was too much for him to bear. And so he executes them. Uh, this was another instance where this was not, I mean, whether or not it was heat of the moment, I don't know, that could kind of go either way. Like he really made that choice there in that moment yeah. in whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Uh, not too long ago, we covered uh, <laughs> Superman's battle with Kenny Braverman, conduit in the triangle era. And it was never addressed in the comics as Clark having killed him, but he did. It's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you, if you read this, or if you remember this, but they have this, you know, Kenny Braverman has set up this football field and with animatronic, uh, you know, recreations of people from Smallville and Superman basically like reaches underground and like pulls out the, the, you know, electrical wires and, and, and just like shoves them into Kenny and it, and it overloads him and he, he dies. Right. And there's never any, like any discussion of like, you killed that guy. But he did, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Superman 2, which again, I know there's the deleted scene where the Phantom Zone criminals are getting carted off. It was deleted. It's not in the movie. And there, he's so flip, right? As they're fall, seemingly falling to their death. So my point is- Lois Lane kills one of them. Go ahead. <laughs> right? So I guess my, my, my point is twofold. Number one, I do just think it's interesting that for a character who doesn't kill, that there are a number of instances where he does. And especially in the case of this final story, it's a, it's a, it's a big point here, but also how people don't really seem, and I'm not speaking for, for all viewers and readers. So, but it doesn't seem like people really bat an eye too much at those other instances that I mentioned yet Mm. the man of steel thing, like really rubbed people the wrong way. And I understand it was far more visceral, like snapping that neck in that moment is it hits you in a way that it, that it doesn't when, you know, I don't know, Superman throws Zod against the fortress wall and he slides down. Right. It just, it has a different, right. a different impact. But again, I, I just, I can track the decision in man of steel better than pretty much any of these other instances. Not that I even dispute what he did in these other instances, but in the man of steel mm-hmm. version in particular. So anyway, that's all I have well, to say about that. <laughs> Well, let me say one thing. Yeah. No, you, you uh, say as no. much as you want. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, a lot of people, and then a lot of people say, well, you know, it was ridiculous that Superman was put in that position where he shouldn't have been put in that position at the end of, but that's what happens. I mean, it's like Star Trek two with the Kobayashi Maru. It's, it's this thing. There is a no win scenario sometimes. And I think to blame the writers for not coming up with a more creative way for Superman to dispose of Zod in that setting. You know, with that family, again, threatened to me, I, I just don't see, I, I don't want to say I don't see anything wrong with it because that's that doesn't make me look good. But I mean, the fact that he killed him is acceptable to me, especially because it's not like when he did it and he goes, so how about we go out for a bite? No, he collapsed to his knees and howled in anguish that he just ended a life. I mean, I'm sorry to me, that's a guy who did not want to kill him and did not Take make take that decision lightly. He did it. He did what had to be do. And you sense he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life, that he took another life. So I think it's much more powerful and not flip as people seem to think it is or gratuitous. I agree. Now, on that note, though, of the consequences, because that brings us now to the to the finale of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, where he says to Lois, I, I broke my oath. No one can kill, especially Superman. And so as Lois recounts to her interviewer and we see what she's describing unfold on the page, Superman walks into the vault containing gold kryptonite, right? He opens the door. We see that it's the iconic, iconic image. If you've, even if you haven't read the story audience, I'm sure you've seen it, right? Because I've I've posted it. So if you follow, if nothing else, you've seen it there, but he opens the door and you see that, that gold glow and he turns back and he looks at her. And then he walks through and as Lois recounts, uh, he, you know, of course, as we know, right, the gold kryptonite removes his powers permanently. And she recounts that they later found a hidden passageway out into the Arctic and that he presumably walked out powerless to freeze to death. Um, this concludes that her interview with, with Tim Crane and, and, uh, earlier in the interview, it had been interrupted when, uh, her Lois's husband, Jordan Elliott showed up, uh, coming after coming home from work. And, uh, you know, now we get to the big reveal at the end of the story where, uh, Tim Crane leaves 
and Jordan drops sort of the uh, the blue collar working class guy accent that he had been putting on uh, in in his earlier scene. And you know, Lois and, and Jordan have this little discussion. Their their baby is playing with a lump of coal, as most babies are. Yes, <laughs> especially as a as a as a parent of a toddler, I'm saying to myself, "Yeah, take that away from the kid." But <laughs> we see the child crush the coal into a diamond, and Lois and Jordan have this conversation where she's like, "Hey, like you really don't miss it, do you? Like you really love just you know being a regular guy and going to work." And he's like, "I I do. Like Superman was overrated. He took himself too seriously, and he thought the world couldn't get on without him." And it ends with, as promised, it ends with a wink as Jordan is closing the door on the audience. As this is where we part with the pre-crisis Superman, we get that wink and this reveal that. Superman did not wander out powerless in the Arctic to freeze to death, but rather is now living a human life as Jordan Elliott with Lois. Oh yeah, comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Absolutely. So, I mean, a few questions here. I, I guess the, the biggest, probably most important question, uh, and, and sort of what's been the undercurrent of this entire conversation so far, uh, is this for you? Is this a fitting end to the story of, of, super, of the Silver Age Superman specifically, but just of Superman generally? Do you like this as a, as a farewell, as a, as an ending? It's weird. It's like the more cynical part of me says, Oh, wait a minute. You killed this guy. And yet you have perfect happiness. Now you have a wife and son and, and you don't have to go out around saving people. It's like, okay, that's a punishment, I guess, uh, for having done this. That being said, it is nice. Especially going back to what I said earlier. His entire rogues gallery is dead anyway. Who cares? Uh, there's nobody to threaten Metropolis anymore. Um, it, but it does, it does, it does provide the proper closing to this. It, it, it takes decades of the Lois and Superman romance or 
sort of romance or her pursuing him, that kind of thing, and him feeling for her. And it, it does give him that happiness. And given the fact that this is the end of an era and this is truly the door closing and we know it's not being reopened again for the most part uh, after this, it's kind of like, yeah, you know what? Why shouldn't he, as she says in that panel before the last one, live happily ever after? Why not ha- give them that? And the kids and the superpowers are going to live on because the kids got crushed a piece of coal into kryptonite. So, I mean, to kryptonite into diamond. So that says to me that it's like, you know what? And if someday, if the world needs a Superman, there will be one as this kid grows up. But the stuff with him and Lois and having the kid and all, I think is great. I, I think it's a really solid ending. I love the wink at the end. And I could swear Kurt Swan tried to George George Reeves in that, uh, in that panel. If you look at that panel, there's, there's George Reeves in there uh, in, in that thing. And many people I interviewed, one of the things they treasured about Superman, especially the George Reeves show, was the wink. That the wink was saying, you're in on a secret that I'm in on and nobody else knows but us. Perfect way to end this thing. I mean, just just really solid. A night After all the death and carnage of the story, it, it's kind of a nice way to end the story. So, there you go. You, what are your feelings? I... I've been giving this a lot of thought, not just because we're doing this episode in particular, but Mm -hmm. just sort of this, like I said, we're covering All-Star next week. And I've just been thinking of this idea of the ending, right? There have been so many tellings and retellings of Superman's origin story. We've covered virtually all of them on the podcast. There's a lot. (laughs) Yet for an 85-year mythology, very few final Superman stories. And, and, and even, and, and, Again, you know, we mentioned some of those, uh, you know, uh, pre-crisis imaginary stories like the death of Superman. And I I don't mean to to knock those, but I think something like All-Star, something like uh, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, they they carry more weight with them and and sort of this intention to to serve the function of ending the Superman story. I don't know that you really have a ton of others like that. And and audience... It's always ongoing. I mean, it was never intended to end, so... Right. So it's, you know, it's that, you know, that certainly makes sense. So I'm thinking like, what is the appropriate end for the character? And look, we'll, we'll get to all-star. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think the idea of Superman becoming this, uh, energy being repairing the sun for thousands of years fits quite well in the context of Morrison's, you know, uh, tale of Superman as, as, as a living myth sort of thing. But I, I feel like for the character generally, I really love this ending. Yeah. Uh, I have said this a bunch uh, on the podcast, especially when we started covering the Donner movies, because I realized something, and I'll keep this quick for people who already listened to those episodes, but uh, well, I've always enjoyed the Donner movies and and continue to have a lot of love and appreciation. They've never fully spoken to me the way that I know they do for a lot of other people. And what, what I realized and what allowed me to enjoy them more was that I really do see a distinction. I feel like the Donner movies, and I do think probably a lot of the, the Silver Age stories as well, give us a story of a God living among men. Whereas I think the more modern stories that I grew up with, like in Smallville, like the Snyder movies, like the Triangle Era comics, and even probably Golden Age too, to an extent, it's more the pow- the story of a man with the powers of a god. And I do see a, a distinction there. And um, 
so that was something that kind of allowed me to 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 kind of um, connect with that a little bit more. And so, either way, though, regardless of which of those versions that we're talking about, but but I guess in particular, since we're talking Silver Age, this idea of a god among men, the notion of that god becoming man, it, it felt felt right. Like it just feels like an appropriate ending for the character. Um, and I, I think the other thing too that really works beautifully in Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow is that. I, I guess your mileage may vary. And I wonder for people reading this at the time, if the second they saw Jordan Elliott, they were like, oh, that's Clark. I mean, I, I don't know if, if they thought. I that. didn't. Oh, really? <laughs> reading it, I didn't until uh, there, it got further into the story. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. That was, uh, yeah, that came uh, that came a little late for me. Maybe I'm slow. No, not at all. So that actually, that's, that kind of proves my point, which is that I think the other, so in and of itself, I think the idea of him living a normal life with Lois, the God has become man, I think is is a beautiful uh, is a beautiful ending, but also that you do get that reveal. Like you have, you ending on that wink and that little twist and that little bit of magic, because as you're reading it, I, I mean, I, I I can't imagine what the story would have been like if he literally just walked out into the Arctic and he never heard from him again. And, fr- and he froze to death. How depressing. Right. But it's like, you don't know exactly, how, especially the first time you read this, you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. And so having that hopeful finish there at the end, uh, I, I think it, it, it just works great, uh, in, in this story. So I, I love the way it played out. Yeah, it was great. It was really a nice way to say goodbye before we said hello again with uh burn and the reboot of, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was the perfect capper uh, for it. Now my interpretation has always been, and I think this is how the story is generally <clears throat> read and accepted is that Superman did in fact expose himself to gold kryptonite eliminating his powers permanently but then of course did not die now how he got back uh you know to to metropolis and and uh, created this new identity for himself who else knew was it just lois was it the other the other justice leaguers you know batman knows yeah. what one way or the other whether they tried yeah, to keep exactly. him in the dark or not of course he knows but my reading has always been he did in fact lose his powers uh but you know, kind of building off what you said earlier, his his DNA didn't fundamentally change, so he was able to pass the powers on to right. his child. Uh, is that your reading as well? Do you think there's any? Do you think there's any room for an alternate interpretation where he didn't even give up his powers, or do you think that's really no, no, no? Because I don't believe that if he was equipped with his powers, that if something was happening that he could prevent, that he would just sit back and go, "Well, I'm pretending I don't have my powers anymore, so I'm not going to do it." you know, or start operating in secret again or whatever. I just don't believe that. I don't, his inherent nature is such that if he can do something, he does something. And I don't think with, with powers, he would have ever settled into, he could have settled into this life with Lois and stuff, but I don't believe for a second as this story, given the fact that he did kill Mixie, that he would have given up his powers and taken that oath very seriously, especially the silver age Superman. So, I, I agree with that. And, and of course, Jordan Elliott is a nice homage to, uh, to Jor-El. And of course the child is named Jonathan. And, uh, oh, this was the other question I wanted to ask you is going back to that, the, the killing of Mixie. So all of his enemies are really off the board now. Most are, are dead or, <laughs> or, or, or incarcerated. Many of his allies now or his friends are gone as well, but uh, certainly his, his enemies, we get the sense his enemies are no longer a threat moving forward. And he has also killed Mixie. 
I guess my question is if, if one of those weren't the case, do you think he still would have made the decision to remove his powers and, and just live as a man? Do, do, do both of those things have to happen for him to make the decision he does or would one have been sufficient? I, I think the oath he takes very seriously, which is why his first impulse was I killed. I have to go into this thing. But let's say Brainiac got back in his ship and flew away. He knows Brainiac's going to come back. Even with his oath, as important as his oath is to him, is he going to give up those powers, leave Earth to defend itself against Brainiac? Or even Luthor. I mean, not as much as Brainiac, but even Luthor. If Luthor was still going, and given that that era of Luthor was the one with the crazy inventions, wasn't the businessman. It was the businessman to just go on being a corrupt businessman uh, and, and a powerful one. But if I think do believe that if there was still a global threat possible from one of his enemies, I don't think he'd give up his powers and he'd, he'd feel guilty for the rest of his life for it, that he'd killed somebody and not given them up. But I don't see him seeing Brainiac fly off and then say, well, I'm getting rid of my powers anyway. I mean, it just would make no sense for a guy who's devoted his entire life to you know, helping others. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, it does. No, I, I, I'm with that. Uh, on the note of Jordan Elliott, uh, you had mentioned a moment ago, you know, they, they left it alone for the most part. Are you referring to the Superman, Batman, absolute power arc by any chance? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's no, what were you referring to? When I said about like that, they Jordan, left this version of the character alone for the most part. You mean Jordan just like not, not dealing with him at all in, in the comic? Is that what you mean? Or yeah, I think what so. Are you saying? I think, yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to understand what you mean by, by they left him alone for the most part, that we didn't really see much of him or? No, like after this, I, th- I think I, I have to go back and check the tape. I think you had said something along the lines <laughs> of like, with this version of the character, like we're leaving him and they leave him alone now for the most part. So I was just, because we do get a, a return, a very fleeting glimpse of Jordan Elliott, at least one, at least once. I, I think it's the only time as far as I know in Jeff Loeb's, Superman Batman run the absolute power arc. I did not realize that. Okay. I did not okay. realize that. So I would, I brought it up because I just thought that might've been what you were referring to, but I'll just say real quick. Uh, and I, it's worth a read. It's to be honest, it's not my favorite arc of that Jeff Loeb mm. run on Superman Batman, but uh, it's the one where the Legion of supervillains change time and uh, right. end up raising Superman and Batman and they're evil and they've conquered the world and you know, and so on as you would expect. But um there was the there was a, a an older version of Superman in the Kingdom Come costume that Jeff Loeb was playing around with a little bit in his run. He shows up in that first um, Public Enemies arc, right. uh, and then again here. And the the short version is that ultimately this future that led to that version of Superman is able to be averted. And as that happens, we see that older Superman in the Kingdom Come costume sort of fade away, and he's replaced by Jordan Elliot, who again oh, closes cool. the door and winks. Uh, I remember, so I was in high school when that arc came out and, you know, growing up, it wasn't until I started working at my local comic shop that I actually was like really able to talk to people about comics all the time, but with one exception. And I never want, I don't want to leave him out. My buddy, Brian from high school, he got into comics. It it didn't last that long, but I think for most Mm. of high school, like he, he was into it and he had a pull list at alternate realities, my local comic shop. And it was great. Like it was really cool. Uh, you know, to be able to talk about that with him. And I remember when that issue came out, we talked on the phone, we talked and I wasn't texting. Like we had a conversation Whoa! and, and I chewed his ear off this poor kid. <laughs> he was such a good sport, 
but I was going on and on. I was like, oh, you don't understand like what a big deal this final page is. I was like, so there was this whole era pre-crisis uh, and then there was crisis on infinite earths and all the earths were consolidated. And it's more like I was giving him this whole history about it. That was the last comic he ever read. Probably. Go ahead. Yeah. I think he's, <laughs> I think he quit shortly thereafter. <laughs> I say all of that just to say how exciting it was. Uh, you know, when, when I, when I saw that, that page in, in that Superman Batman arc and, this is, I think, I've said this before, but it, this is the most appropriate episode to say it. I think the best compliment I can pay whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is that I can I can understand why someone who grew up reading Silver Age comics would enjoy this. That's more of a slam dunk. I read this with no real conception of what yeah. pre-crisis even was. And I still, I still loved it. And I think that's such a testament to to the to the story that was told. And and I was thinking about like, whoa, whoa, what was it that grabbed me so much about it? Yeah. And I think it was just, I mean, first of all, even though it's a different continuity, I mean, it's not. Maybe this speaks to you know, as much as things change, a, a lot of the core of these characters and dynamics do re, do it does remain because absolutely it wasn't like so wildly different that I couldn't figure out who was who or what was going on. Right. It, and, and I think just the stakes felt very high. There was a lot of emotion seeing that more vulnerable side of Superman. And yeah. I think getting this, this conclusion, getting this ending, which is, is such a pretty singular, you know, m moment in, in the comics and just this idea of a final Superman story. So uh, I think that's the best compliment I can pay. Like it worked even not having that background. Absolutely. And like I said, and I've said a few times, it, it is the perfect Kappa for that era. And yet what Alan Moore does that's so clever is it still has enough of a modern sensibility where you don't feel like you're reading something from 20 years earlier that it does feel I mean, there is certain goofiness, you know, of it. Like the Legion showing up the way they do, that was so typical of Silver Age comics. The Legion just pop in and do something, or somebody would just pop in conveniently uh, and do something. But that being said, I really, that's what I think is its greatest strength, is it does capture the flavor of all of that entire era beautifully, and yet it's got enough of an edge where you feel like it's, like I said, to me it felt like a predating of where comics were going. Uh, with the darkness of Watchmen and Dark Knight and all that. So, no, it's a good, it was a good mix of the two, mostly old fashioned with just enough taste of the modern to make it palatable for people like you and others who were just, you know, never read the Silver Age at the time. That's a, that's a perfect way to put it. I, I don't think I asked you this earlier. This whole idea of wanting to clear up any questions that readers might have had. Again, I think the reveal of the identity and the, uh, the, the, the resolution to the love triangle. I think that's definitely other than seeing the final fates of a lot of characters, but I think as far as questions, that's a big one that gets answered. I'll yeah. say for myself, things that I wish had been explored. I wish we would have gotten, I would say more, but we barely got any, uh, reactions to the secret identity reveal. Like how did everyone feel about the fact that that Clark was actually Superman all along. I mean, we see Lana shock, you know, when it initially happens, right. but it's so very quickly overshadowed by the death of Pete and, uh, and, and again, all of these, you know, forces coming together and, and, and Lois. motivating them to you never even get Lois. You never see that. So like that to me is like, man, I, I feel like I know they only had two issues. Right. But that's something that I really wish had been addressed. 
especially as someone who grew up reading these comics, like, or were there other things that you wish had been cleared up or, or more time spent on in these issues? Honestly, it was, I, I think the problem is there was no chance. And this goes along with what you're saying to react to anything. And part of me says, all right, you know what? This is an adrenaline ride. Basically this is, it starts, starts with bizarro. Then his, or vice versa, his clothes getting burned off and revealing him as Superman. From that point on, this thing doesn't stop really. I mean, you get, you Talos, you get you get all these different threats. We're going to the fortress. We're at the fortress. Brainiac shows up. He joins with Luther. They attack the fortress. They put a force shield to keep everybody out. There is so much happening so fast in those two two issues that it didn't feel like there was a lot of breathing room to do any of the things that are sort of lacking. I think the biggest mistake was not having Lois's reaction to to his identity reveal. That was probably it. But it also, but overall, though, that was my takeaway from it. As I was reading it, actually, like there's no time for any of these sort of reactions. Not like we've got three days to get ready for the end. It's like it's happening. Boom, boom, boom. It's like a diehard movie or something. <laughs> you know, it's just moving from thing to thing. So no, so overall, no, there wasn't there wasn't too much given the fact that as far as I was concerned, the Silver Age was pretty much over anyway at that point. You know, when you get to the 80s, it, to me, it was just like, I, it's like in my past, basically. So I didn't come into this saying, even recently, just having read it, saying, oh boy, I hope they address such and such. It really was the relationship between, as I've gotten older, funnily enough, the relationship between Superman and Lois becomes much more important to me and watching how that has evolved over the years. You know, and uh, and I think so. I think we got that happy ending. We didn't get her reaction, but overall, I was pretty pleased. There wasn't much that I sat there saying, "God, wish they did this." So, gotcha. Yeah. In terms of the legacy of this story, and and I'm going to segue to Smallville for a moment. Oh, actually, you know, yeah. one other thing. But before we talk about the the crisis scene, the, the one, one other mm-hmm. thing that made me think of Smallville, which is, and I've said this before too, but. I think one of the things that always made Smallville compelling for me, at least, and there's a lot, but one thing was that you knew what you were building toward, but the show by design had to exercise a a substantial amount of restraint, right? Mm -hmm. Until you get to that finale and look there, the finale is a mixed bag. There's some beautiful stuff. There is a lot that's immensely disappointing and frustrating. It is what it is, but there's so much weight to that finale because it's finally the payoff to everything you, you've been building toward. And that's right. kind of what I equate whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. It's almost like the, like the Smallville finale where it's like in the silver, it's like all of these things that happen and then are undone or, or things that never happen at all because they can't happen. It's like, well, now this is when everything gets to happen. Uh, right. So, you know, that was kind of the other thing I, I was thinking of, but I wanted to ask you, have you ever read whatever happened to the Cape Crusader? I have not being a somewhat Batman fan, but not a huge Batman fan. Uh, he's always grumpy at Superman. Uh, <laughs> that's not why I haven't read a lot of the Batman, more modern Batman comics. Let's put it that way. Okay. All these people watching are going to be like, why did this guy write a book about Superman? He hasn't read anything. <laughs> well, I've look, read that- a lot. Believe me. Uh, <laughs> so I highly recommend it. Uh, written by Neil Gaiman, drawn by Andy Kubert. And it's uh, similarly a two part story. This came out around the time of final crisis. So far more recent mm-hmm. Although over a decade old at this point, which is <laughs> going by I'm very smiling. going by very quickly, but yeah. obviously my heart is with Superman. I do love Batman, and this is one of my all-time favorite Batman stories, and one of my favorite stories generally. It's one of the only ones that 
and I just reread it last night. I tear up every friggin' time I oh. read this. There's there are very few things that are in that category for me. And even now, as I quote some of it, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I might get a little emotional. It's, I, I, see, I don't want to spoil it now for you, but um, it's, I, I'll try, I'll try to keep this. It's okay. <laughs> don't worry. General, about it. spoil but away. It's okay. It's, it's like whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Also designed to be uh, the final Batman story, but it's not as literal. It's not here. We're buttoning up you know, X number of years of continuity. It's something that actually could, you could read this at kind of any point in the character's publishing history. So again, a two-part story and the beginning part is we have enemies and, and allies alike showing up for the funeral of Batman and Batman himself is watching the proceedings from somewhere and he's listening as his enemies and allies are telling stories about his life and death and nothing, the stories keep changing and nothing's really lining up with his experience. And he's having a conversation with this unknown companion. And again, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but what we find out is that you probably guess where this is going is that he's dying. And this is what his brain is going through as, as his body is dying. And whether it's truly her spirit or just something that his mind has conjured, his companion is Martha. And they have this whole, and that's why I say you can read this at any point in the character's history, right? It's that right. at some point, inevitably, the character will meet his end. And, you know, we talk, you know, as far as Superman, it's like, what, what are those core elements that always, that always, that are always there? And, and even in an ending, it's like, I think for you and I, we, we would probably be on the same page, ending with Lois, whether he has powers or not whether it's right. in the present or in the 853rd century uh, in, in the heart of the sun, like it's, it's Lois or he was out of the sun by that point. Anyway. Right. Uh, you digress. Yeah, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, again, we'll talk about that next week. But uh, similarly here, you know, Bruce and Martha talk about how no matter what, no matter how the story changes, the Batman never gives in and never gives up. And, you know, he really encapsulates his, his whole experience and his journey. He's like, I, you know, I'm the Batman. I protect the city. I guard the innocent. I correct the guilty. And sometimes I die, you know, a big heroic death. Other times it's a small, ironic, unnoticed one. But the one thing that never changes, I never give in, I never give up. And there's a reason why I'm, I'm laying all of this out because it's sort of, it's going to be our bridge to the, that Smallville thing and how I was ultimately able to really come around on that, which is... Uh, he says to Martha, he's like, I don't, because she says like, it's, it's almost time now. And he's like, I don't really believe in the afterlife. Like, I don't think I go to heaven. And she says to him, she's like, you don't get heaven or hell. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this <laughs> story is really, like, it really gets me. Yeah. She says, the only reward you get for being Batman is you get to be Batman. And at the beginning, you have those few years with us where you're perfectly happy. And the cycle continues. And, uh, I, I won't, you know, the, the, and then we, we sort of have our conclusion. It's a beautiful sort of farewell to the world of, of, of Gotham and Batman. But this idea that the reward Batman gets for being Batman is he gets to be Batman and he will fight until he drops and it'll happen in some way, shape or form, right? That to me felt very fitting for that character. But I thought to myself, is the reward for being Superman that he gets to be Superman no, I think the reward for being Superman is he gets to be Clark. I that's a great way to put it. It really is. It's uh, yeah. I mean, after so many years helping so many lives around the universe, 
to have that finally have yourself give that little piece of happiness that you denied yourself. Nobody denied it to you. You denied it yourself for all those years of service that, yeah, it's okay that you end up with Lois at the end. That's a good reward for all that you have sacrificed over the decades without ever feeling as if you were sacrificing, which makes it even more meaningful, I think. Exactly. So this was, and just so you know, Anthony, yeah. I cry at the end of It's a Wonderful Life every time I watch it. So don't feel bad. Me too. About Batman no, me too. Does. Me too. No, I, I'm right there with you. That and the Rocky mm. movies, I, they all get me. Oh, yep. So again, I was thinking a lot about that, that Smallville scene in the crisis television crossover from, I guess we're talking 2018, end of 2018 and, or 2019. I think it was yeah. Or, 20, 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yep. So again, we did a whole episode on this. I don't, you know, where we really went through that entire scene, you know, moment by moment. Oh yeah, we, we don't need to do that. But essentially we, we visit once again with Tom Welling's Clark Kent and we find out that he has given up his powers. John Cryer's Lex, the Lex of the Arrowverse is going through various worlds, killing the Superman on each world. And he's come to the Clark Kent of Smallville and, uh, in that interaction, you know, Clark reveals, you know, Lex tries to use kryptonite on him and it doesn't work. And Clark says, well, it, you know, kryptonite doesn't work on me since I gave up my powers. And, you know, Lex is like, you gave up your powers and they have their back and forth. But we find out Lex steps on a child's toy. Uh, and then later Lois calls out to Clark and mentions that the girls want to show him what they made in the kitchen. And so we realize that he gave up his powers to have this family with Lois and his daughters on the farm. Uh, before I give my new take on all of this, <laughs> what what is your, because you shared some of this with me uh, over Facebook when we were talking about doing this episode. So how do you feel uh, about the way the, the, the Smallville Clark story is resolved in crisis? The annoyed fanboy part of me says he still won't put on the damn costume. That was, that was the first, <laughs> that was the first reaction. I mean, I was so mad at the series finale that he wouldn't put on the costume. And so when they showed him here as just Clark, I was just like, look, any excuse not to put on the costume. Okay, that was the first spoiled fanboy thing. Okay. As a character, again, it goes back to what I said before about Superman and Lois ultimately ending up together. My problem with it is that the Superman in uh, in this in this final comic story, to me, is somebody who has earned, after a lifetime of servitude, has earned this time with uh, Lois and the family and having the child and stuff. Clark spent 10 years becoming Superman, basically. His servitude wasn't that much, relatively speaking. Now, yes, he did fight every villain he ever would in Smallville. Uh, I'll give you that. But honestly, it felt like a guy who had been building to be to embrace this destiny of becoming the Man of Steel, of becoming Superman, to so quickly, even though it's been 10 years or nine years, whatever it was between the end of Smallville and, and this episode, to so quickly throw that away, so to speak, or to give that up for his personal happiness, that to me doesn't jive with Superman. And even the Clark, the, the Superman of Smallville, the man that Clark evolved into when he did put on that CG costume at the end of the uh, uh, series and the conversation between and Jonathan and Jarrell encouraging him for the first time. Uh, and then, uh, it just didn't feel like a fitting end to that character to say, I'm Superman. 
And no, I'm not. And I don't know. I just, that's what disappointed. Forget the costume thing. That's just me being, you know, a little brat about it. But, but as far as the character and his destiny and his role as Superman, it felt too short lived for him to have given up and have had two kids already at this point. So that's, that's my feeling about it. And I totally get that. And the Anthony of, of a couple of years ago would be right <laughs> there with you. I made that argument and a number of others when we had that discussion and I think the thing that I I just could not get over, I, everything you said, but also the idea that his entire journey on that series was about him being able to reconcile both parts of himself. And right. I felt we ended the show beyond this point of him being like, oh, I want to be normal. And so I felt that the ending that we get in Crisis doesn't honor or didn't honor that journey that he had gone on. Um, I also felt, Hey, he even makes a reference when they, when they, you know, initially our Arrowverse characters are trying to recruit him and then they get zapped away by, by Cryer Lex. But when they mention Lex, he's like, Oh, I didn't know the president was in town. Of course, referring to Michael Rosenbaum's Lex from Smallville who, who became president. So that was sort of the other wrinkle here, right? Cause we talked about in the Alan Moore story, it's like, Hey, he's broken his oath, but also all of his battles have been fought, right? It's the end of his career. He's had this lifetime of service and his enemies are no longer threats. And watching this, it just sort of felt like, hey, I don't know that we're quite there. So those were really like the main arguments that that I made that I really could not get past. Um, it was funny because I posted on Twitter even before the holidays that that I had had a change of heart about this. And a bunch of people commented. And what was interesting to me was a lot of people had built their headcanon around what happened before crisis and or what could have possibly happened after crisis. And I'm not speaking for everyone, but I, I looked through the comments and I would say the majority of them were some version of, well, we don't know that he gave them up for good. That was ba basically the gist of it, where some people thought like, well, maybe he just has blue kryptonite, right? Which we know from Smallville neutralizes his power. It's, they don't Blue kryptonite doesn't remove it permanently, but it neutralizes. So, oh, maybe he's just using blue kryptonite or maybe he has a way to get them back. And here's the thing. We're not told one way or the other. So to anyone who's built that headcanon, go nuts, go for it. That's sure. your, your deal. Sure. That's fine. And if that's what makes you happy with Sleep how they through the up, night, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally fine. I will say for myself as someone who is, who watched Smallville religiously, watched the Arrowverse up until that point, because <laughs> I really did kind of tap out after, after crisis. Uh, and I spent a lot of time talking and thinking about all of this. I genuinely believe that the intention, and I could be proven wrong if they ever do a revival, I could be totally wrong, but I truly believe the intention of that scene was that he had removed his powers permanently, a la a gold kryptonite situation. Yeah, me too. I, I really think that was the intent. So this, so sort of the mental gymnastics of like, well, maybe he didn't really get rid of them, but there's a way he could get them back. I, I don't think that's really what was going on there. Um, so I really took that as he has relinquished his powers uh, permanently. Um, but two things saved this for me, uh, other than the whatever happened to the Cape Crusader line, right? That that whole bit. But also, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow is, is my favorite ending for the character. And the Clark Kent of Smallville is my favorite iteration of the character. I've, you know, I, 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 I always go back to that. And so I said to myself, well, would you not want your favorite <laughs> version of Superman to have your favorite ending? 
Uh, so then I, I think it really became more of this question of like how they got to this point and then this idea of headcanon, right? And this was ultimately what unlocked it for me. And I'm going to go through my own mental gymnastics here. I'm going to do what <laughs> I just like all these people coming up with all this stuff. I'm going to do the exact same thing now. Okay, we're ready. Because for all we know, maybe the rest of his adversaries were dealt with. But Lex, he mentions Lex. How do we get around that? And I said to myself, what if they became friends again? Who's to say that the end of their story is mortal enemies for life? We spent 10 years watching them become enemies. Who knows what the next 10 years brought? Again, I'm not saying that the show intended that in any way, shape, or form. But I said to myself, that's a story I would be interested to see. What if there's a way for these two guys, even, even when they were enemies by the end of the series, there was still that bedrock of brotherhood and friendship and love between them. In their final scene together, Lex is still encouraging him. I really feel like there's... I don't know. I, again, I don't think we would ever necessarily see that, but that's a story that I would be interested in. And I thought to myself, that's how this makes sense for me. Memory wipe. There's, we Lex can get around memory. that. We can get around that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it's, how much you love that. Memory it's wipe. still, I still cannot believe that the Smallville season 11 comic didn't, didn't undo that. I still, I, anyway, that's, that's a separate yeah. conversation, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, putting the mind wipe aside, there you know I'm sure that could be undone at some point. But um, yeah, the only thing that bothers me with the theory is again, and this is really being fanboy and holding this stuff up as canon. There was the flash forward to the future. There was the rain, the bloody rain, with Lex in the white suit or something. I mean, there was that vision. Now, yeah, okay, maybe they became friends and it changed the future. Okay, if that's what happened. But that was it's you know you brought that up the the whole Lex thing. That was my feeling watching that scene in Crisis was, you know, this thread is there. You know, he is now president of the United States. It sure feels like a lot of what he saw in that vision is coming true. And therefore, it is irresponsible for, until he knows that that's not going to happen for him to give up his powers. How's that for a geek? Uh, but I, I just that's that's really how I felt about that moment. It really annoyed me. Uh, again, I, I, I cannot stress enough. I get it. I, I, I totally get this. And I have felt exactly that same way, but I guess the other thing that I, maybe this stems from my, my change of heart is, uh, I feel like there's so much potential for an adaptation of whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Right. I mean, we, we, like what we get in crisis, I would not even, you know, it's I think inspired by what happened and whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, but it's, it's not an adaptation of the story. I've no. always thought, I always thought an animated form, something like that could be really cool. Uh, but I also think if we were ever to get a Smallville revival, it would be really cool to see, and I know they've, you know, I know they've been talking about pitching an animated series. I think if we got anything, it might be that, and even that, I don't know how likely it is. I'd love I to see it, it's but very likely, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree. But I thought to myself, like, man, like that would be kind of cool to see whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow adapted for Smallville, and actually sure. see how you get to the point where we see Clark in crisis and. You know, I, again, what from the, uh, you know, not maybe the 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 literal plot of the comic book, but the the spirit and the intent and the beats of it, like how that would play out in the context of Smallville. And, and is there any version where there's redemption for this friendship, this broken friendship between Clark and Lex? 
So I think that was the other thing that I, I kept coming back to. Yeah, I mean, if you want to veer off from the canon, I mean, yes, the show obviously veered off from the canon so much, but that's such a big thing to veer off from. Uh, but yeah, maybe there is redemption. Maybe there is a possibility of redemption. Look, look I love the ad. I know I don't want to jump to All Star Superman because you're doing that next week. But in the animated adaptation, there is Lex having being re, 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 rehabilitated or just just a different point of view, a change in point of view where he suddenly recognizes where he's been wrong and where Superman's been right. And to me. That was a beautiful ending. I mean, that was something even the comic didn't do was, was that ending where it held out the possibility and a, an explanation for Luther having such a change of heart. And to me, that was such a powerful thing because if Superman's going away forever and you're going to have one last act you do before, uh, before you go is redeeming Lex Luthor. Oh my God. <laughs> just, just brilliant. I thought Dwayne McDuffie, I think adapted. Mm-hmm. He did it. So anyway, a little side note. Sorry. No, I'm with you. I, I, again, I know what I'm what I'm selling here. I don't. I know you're not not quite buying, but I, I get that. I understand. But I I don't know. I, I think that would be an interesting story. And I do. I know, like the idea of a repaired friendship between the two. Of them, I know that is a, that is a departure. But again, so, so much like you said, so much of Smallville itself was. And yeah. look, Batman. Uh, another Batman story kind of <laughs> feeds into this as well. I don't know. I'm drawing a lot of inspiration from Batman. But the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Alfred has a couple of lines there in different scenes in the movie, but the trailer smushed them together where he says to Batman, uh, do I attempt the accent? You see, you see only one end to your journey. Sometimes a man rises from the darkness. And I, again, I kind of like that idea. Like we see one end right to the Clark and Lex story. Um, understandably so based on what the mythology and the series itself showed us, but maybe there, maybe that that man, that Lex, and, and that friendship, maybe that can rise. I don't know. But uh, it, it allowed me to make some peace with it. Well, yeah, I mean, look, first of all, let me say, if they did a series or spinoff of some sort with human Clark Kent, you know, mortal Clark Kent, I should say, uh, with Lois Lane, I'd be the first one to watch it. I told you, if P.B. Herman was James Bond, I'd be go see it. So it's Superman related. I'm, 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 I'm watching it. Uh, I had, a, you know, for the book, I interviewed Brandon Routh, and we had this interesting conversation of the differences, choices Superman made in Injustice and in Kingdom Come, especially the version in uh, in this. In Injustice, Joker manipulates Superman to kill Lois and their unborn child that Superman puts his hand through the Joker's chest, okay? Takes him down one path. The Joker in Infinite Crisis gasses the Daily Planet because he's not getting enough coverage. He kills Lois, Jimmy, Perry, everybody else. And what does Superman do or Clark does? He picks up the pieces and he goes forward and he changes his uniform, right? With the black behind the S saying that the hope rises from the darkness. Beautiful moment, I thought. So my the point of bringing that up is you can go down this dark path and or like the enemy path with Lex and, and Clark, or there can be something that happens that changes that. And I think if well done, if 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 the writing is behind it and really makes it palatable for us i could see it going down either way i mean you know i've always been a big multiverse fan anyway the idea of saying if you go this way this is what happens if you go this way this is what happens so anyway yeah no i I can't wait to i can't wait to read what what rath had to say for your book and i I also want to give i I forget which twitter user it was but someone when i posted my thing about having a change of heart someone actually suggested that exact thing about lex uh 
I swear I had the thought myself. I, I didn't want to post it because I was like, I'm going to save it for the episode. And then I saw them. I'm like, oh, it's going to sound like I'm just like, uh, you know, copying. <laughs> but the idea, like other people were sort of thinking about this too. Uh, it's just interesting to me. And one last thing, I guess, with Smallville, which is uh, uh, Al Goff, one of the co-creators, he recently did an interview because those guys did the Wednesday show on Netflix now. Oh, it's great too. And That's I have great. not, I have not watched it yet, but I've heard great things. But they've been doing a lot of press. And of course, Smallville comes up. And he had a line in one of his interviews where he was like, he talked about uh, how much they deviated from the mythology and how he felt like they got away with so much more then than they would be able to now. And he said, like, one generation's heresy is the next generation's religion. And yeah. so it's like for so many of us who came up with Smallville and like all this backstory that was filled in, it's like now when I and I'm sure a lot of my contemporaries like think of think of those characters and especially that time in Smallville, like that's kind of what we're thinking of. And so... Uh, again, the idea of sort of a redeemed Lex and a, and a, and a repaired friendship, it's like, yes, it might seem like heresy now, <laughs> but <laughs> generations from now it might not. So I don't know. I, again, I don't think that we would see it, but it's, it's interesting for me at least to contemplate. No, absolutely. And what, what are the thing about golf? I remember year, this was not even for the book, this was years ago. He told me that, you know, well, he told me more recently that if they tried to do Smallville now, they'd never get away with the stuff they got away with uh, back then because of the corporate, elements of it being even more than it was then. But I remember one time years ago, he told me when they used the John Williams theme very briefly on something, it wasn't the Virgil Swans episode, it was something else. And I said to him, I go, oh, I see you got the scene in there. I can't believe they let you, the music in there, the Williams theme. And he, and he, I go, I can't believe they let you do it. And he says, well, we figured it was better to ask for forgiveness than permission. We just put it in. Now he, they'd never pull something like that. No way. You know, so just to show the changes. Sorry, I know there's a tangent, but there you go. No, I, I'm all about tangents. <laughs> no, it's it's all it's all good. No, that's that's interesting to know. Yeah, it's I know it's crazy. I really enjoyed this. Uh, just too. being able to to talk about one of my favorite Superman comic stories. This idea of what what's an appropriate end for the character, and then tying it back to to this, the Clark Kent of Smallville, and this change of heart that I've had, and this peace that I found <laughs> with it. So I, I want to, of course, I want to thank you. I, I do want to go back. I want to thank Mike San Gregorio from that other episode we did. He, you know, he was trying to make these arguments to me and, and I appreciated, I appreciated what he was saying. I wasn't dismissive of it, but it just, it didn't land, but it does now. So, so, th so thank you, Mike, but thanks, Mike. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Ed. And I, I, I do just want to say, is there anything else that we didn't talk about with respect to whatever happened to the man of tomorrow that, that you wanted to? I don't think so. I mean, we were pretty encompassing here. So I'm, uh. I'm pretty pleased with the way this went. And no, I just, I'm really grateful uh, that I did the episode, not only because it was just fun to talk to you like this, but just to read the story, a story I'd never read before and actually getting so much pleasure out of it. I did not expect that. I really expected it to be sort of like, all right, this is from, you know, 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago. It's like, eh, I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy this. Enjoyed the heck out of it. So there you go. It's uh, uh, That was great. So this was good homework to have, let me tell you. So it's very good. Good. I'm glad. I, I know you had messaged me earlier when you revealed that you had, this was the first time you read it and you were like, Oh, do you not want me on the episode now? Jokingly. And, yeah. and, uh, and of course I said, no, like this, it makes me even more curious to talk to you. And, and that, and that's bore out here because honestly, the, the fact that you were just reading it now for the first time, that, that was secondary. It was really more important for me to me, um, to speak to someone with who grew up reading, a lot of these stories that um, that whatever happened to the man of tomorrow kind of you know brings to a close, right? Yeah. Because 
uh, you know, I can speak to one of my, you know, uh, contemporaries who has the same frame of reference that I do, and that's fine. We'll have a great conversation about it. But like going back to where we started here, when I asked like, oh, what are your favorite aspects of Silver Age? And it's like, you know, it all kind of blurs together, but it's this feel that you have for it. That's what I, that's what I wanted to, and that's why I wanted to get your take, someone in your shoes, your take on, uh, on the story. So thank you for everything that you were able to share. It was, uh, I really enjoyed this. No, me too. And, and the other thing I forgot to mention is when the uh, New Adventures of Superman debuted in 1966, I was all of six years old, and that was another really important part of me falling in love with the stuff and the Silver Age because the comic really captures this, uh, this cartoon captures the Silver Age very much. So uh, it is, it is all one tapestry, but it's a tapestry that goes on to this day for me. Uh, you know, uh, Snyder cut there, <laughs> you know, uh, the animated film sons, of, you know, the battle of the super sons. I'm there. I mean, I love it all. It's just so fun to see. And I, and I always smile. It's like, especially when Henry Cavill showed up at the end of, uh, Black Adam, and we had him looking in the blue costume with the hair curl. And I know a lot of people say, "Boy, well, you use the Hans Zimmer scene." It's not as iconic. Be quiet. Uh, but they played the theme. I really was smiling like you wouldn't believe. And and I went with my 28 year old son, and we walked out. They were talking about Black Adam, and all I could talk about was, "Yeah, but Henry Cavill showed up, and they played the theme." And it's it, to this day, a man my age still can get such joy out of. Leaving that a man can fly. <laughs> Seriously, it's awesome. So that's beautiful. So let's let's uh let's direct folks here. So voices from Krypton. Is there a pre-order link yet or not yet? Not really yet, but I mean if anybody wants information, I've got to update it more. But if you go to VFKoralhistory.com, uh I'll be posting more updates as we get closer to the April thing. And as soon as, of course, there is a link to order it, uh, that, so yeah, so that book should be out in April from nacelle and not as often as I like, I do the voices from Krypton podcast where, you know, I have to dip into my archives cause I've been doing this for 40 years. So I've got like, we just had my interview for 1987 with Sidney Fury, uh, regarding Superman four. And, uh, yeah, so those, those are my two big things in terms of Superman. So nice. Well, I hope people will, will check that out and definitely please keep an eye out for that book and we'll talk more about it uh, when it drops. And like I mentioned, Ed will be on another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman a little bit later in season one, uh, right around the time of the release of the book. So we'll, we'll get that what timing just right. Thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Can't argue with that. All right. Well, so thank perfect. you. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you. Audience. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate you, you folks tuning in and uh, joining us here at the start of another year. It's it's a it's a big year for the podcast. We are back on YouTube, so uh, welcome back to our YouTube audience. We are continuing to put out our audio only versions on the usual podcast platform. So if that's how you consume it, keep doing your thing. But if you are on YouTube or if you would like to watch us, it's at the Anthony Desiato YouTube channel. Uh, so feel free to watch and make sure you subscribe to the channel uh, as well. That's a big help. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts in particular. It's a great way. I don't know if it truly helps the show rise in terms of that uh, algorithm and being, uh, sh you know, showing up earlier in search results and being recommended. I don't know. It might, it might not, but I do know that uh, as someone myself, like who, you know, is deciding whether or not to listen to a podcast, you go and you look at the ratings and the reviews, you see what people are saying about it. It might make a podcast more or less attractive. So 
Uh, for that reason, if, if nothing else, like if you enjoyed the show, please take a second. In the amount of time it's taken me to say this, you can actually go do it. <laughs> uh, on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Uh, you don't even have to write much. You can just be like, I enjoy the show. I hope you listen. Like that's all you have to say. Uh, and thank you so much to everyone who already has. Uh, I really do appreciate it. So again, big year. We're, we're barreling towards our 100th episode. Uh, before that, we're going to have another big Triangle Era event. Uh, over the next few weeks, we have a number of like really cool uh, upcoming standalone episodes that I'm excited to do. And after our 100th, we have probably our biggest event yet. So make sure you stay tuned for all of that. It's going to be a fun year. So uh, again, thank you, Ed. Thank you, audience. We'll be back thank next you. week with All-Star Superman. Until then, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.